You're listening to the Bahai World News Service. Now live local law enforcement. During a recent gathering at the Bahai World Center on the development of communities, Bhavna Anbarasan, a member of the Continental Board of Councillors for Asia, sat with the news service to discuss how Bahai community building endeavors are giving rise to a new culture of equality in villages in the state of Bihar, India. Mrs. Anbarasan shares insights from a recent consultation amongst representatives from four of these villages. She describes the social reality of these communities and shares reflections from the decades of experience they have in drawing on Bahai principles to contribute to the material and spiritual development of their villages and to fostering a culture of equality. From the Baha'i World News Service, this is Insights from the Field, a podcast series that explores experiences from Baha'i efforts to contribute to social progress from the grassroots to the international level. So the gathering that we were at had participants from four villages from the state of Bihar. There's a large number of families that are in different ways learning about what it means to apply the principles of Baha'u'llah in their lives. They come together to pray and consult. They're coming together to talk about the principles and teachings of Baha'u'llah and what it means for them in their lives. Our conversation actually initially began by talking about this principle of what we mean by equality. And in trying to explore that, we spoke about how the soul has just no gender, basically. And it is our body that gives us the form. And how each soul is born in a particular circumstance and in a particular time in history. But every soul is the same in the sight of God. Every soul is noble. And every soul has the responsibility to grow, should have the opportunity to to grow and develop. And how this understanding of equality then allows us to transcend some some of the sensitive questions that come around, whether it's okay for a girl or a woman to do something. And then this idea of education also, we spoke about how like, okay, girls can't go out because it's not a safe environment, for instance, they said, or there are concerns that if they go out, then they are not going to be on the right path. They are going to get distracted in life because the family has to arrange their marriage, but they might like somebody and that might create a problem. So all of these concerns are there. But then if there is a concern and there is an obstacle, how does the community think about uh, removing these obstacles? How do we create spaces within the village for them to pursue their education? We try to describe the journey of any individual in the village from infancy all the way up to 18 to 20 years. What does it look like? Up to three years old, most of the children are under the care of their mother and around the families around them. Then for a, for a five-year-old child, what options do they have uh, in terms of their preparation for life? Were they able to grow? Uh, they able to 
progress? What opportunities for them to have spiritual education? Uh, and what opportunities do they have uh, to also uh, get good academic education, the various subjects that are taught? And then also all the way up to 18, 20 years. And then we had to ask ourselves whether this applies to both boys and girls. And it's only when we asked this question, then the description of the life of a girl from a certain age began to change. You know, in some of the villages, uh, they uh, still have uh, the practice of, of uh, early marriage. And they described about how as early as when they're in eighth or ninth grade, the girls have to stop going to school. So for example, some of the villages have schools set up within them up to primary. And then some of them have up to middle school. But then for high school, it's not within the village. They have to go across to another village. So then because it's not in the village, that defines whether the family would want to send the girl to another village or not, because they have concerns about security and safety. And then about higher secondary and entering undergraduate studies was a small percentage of them that were really pursuing it. So this whole description was very helpful for us to understand that while we have come a long way, there's a long way to go. Uh, we have young boys who are going out for education, but then the girls are not able to go out. thing we spoke about was certain notions and practices that are associated with gender. So one of the conceptions that's there the moment a girl is born, there's something called paraya dhan, which in English it literally translates to be a wealth that is not yours, which is going to go away. Because the culture is that when a girl grows up and gets married, they go to the house of the in-laws and that's their home, that's their destination. And then also, there's a lot of dowry that you have to pay for getting the girl married in a good place if you really want her to be happy. Or even when a boy is born, there is this excitement and the way it's celebrated is very different to the way it's celebrated when a girl is born. Of course, in some places, there are families that have begun to appreciate even when girls are born. But majority, if you look at it, there are still many concerns that people have and there are these conceptions. Because you see the scope and the role of this girl as someone who's going to just be there at home, take care of the family and probably cook food. So uh, there have been many efforts by the government also to really promote education and, and, and a lot has taken place. But even in educated families, sometimes there is this misconception for example, in one of the states, we were just discussing recently that we have many young girls who are studying now. They go all the way up to higher secondary and then they start doing an undergraduate degree in, in different courses like nursing, accounts, etc. But then they get married and then they just go away and there's no context to all that education for them to make use of. So there are many assumptions and notions that need to be changed. And for that change to happen, we need to first understand why they are in place. So this question that we spoke about was that if there is any practice that's there in our village, 
first we begin to ask questions about why it's there. For example, there was this whole description about when a woman is going through the period of menstruation. It's a taboo, you don't talk about it, but it's also considered very unclean and you're not allowed to enter certain spaces in the home, in the kitchen or where they worship God. And then the women actually in that gathering were able to describe in a very scientific way the reasons why these practices may have happened. And they were describing that, you know, they need rest, they need more attention, they need to eat more nutritious food, and they cannot do much heavy work. And usually it's the woman who actually wakes up early in the morning. She's the first to wake up in the house, prepare everything. And then she goes out into the field as well. And then she's the last one to sleep and the last one to eat whatever's left. So they described very beautifully in the gathering the purpose of this. So this was one example about how there are reasons, but they don't become then, we just become superstition that, okay, now this is that time of the month, you're not allowed to come inside the kitchen because you're unclean. So, so how do we change these notions? Another question they ask themselves is that, Usually this unsafe environment in the village is because of a handful of people. It's not the entire village that is unsafe. So what can the entire village do to address this challenge instead of being scared about what these handful of people can do? So what conversations can take place and who from the community can take ownership to address this so that it becomes an environment that is safe for girls and for women and they can go out for their studies. Another thing that they spoke about is that, yes, they want to question a lot of the practices and not question because now they just have to question everything. Like, you know, I remember we were talking about how we're not part of just any movement where we want to now have rallies and we want to, you know, have these conversations and bring about equality. We spoke about how this purpose of promoting this principle of life, like it's a principle that governs the life of humanity where there's man and there's woman. It's like any principle or law that governs the physical nature. You have gravity that just governs the way the universe works. Equality is a principle that governs the way, that's the way humanity arranges its affairs. As we are people who are learning to live purposeful lives, we are studying about how do we grow as an individual, but how do we contribute to the betterment of everyone around us and in our efforts to live this life where we want to build a new world, we try to promote principles of equality, of justice. And it's in that light that we want to make every effort to ensure that on a day-to-day -day basis, I see whether I'm making that effort. So if in my family, I see there is something that's happening, I ask a question as to why Am I allowed to go for a study and my sister is not allowed to go? I ask a question to understand the reasoning behind it. And then once a reason is given, to see whether it matches and it agrees with my conviction of nobility, of my conviction of equal opportunity for everyone to, to grow, to learn, to contribute to one's family, to contribute to one's community. 
if it agrees with the reasons that I find in the, in the teachings of Baha'u'llah, in my understanding of, of the teachings of Baha'u'llah, if it does, then we're okay with it and we're okay with that practice. But if it's not in line with that, then what effort can I make with the means and available to me and whatever is available in the community to change, make that change. So it was a very beautiful conversation. And I remember there was this one gentleman who, who's married and has a family. And he said that how now for his own family, he said that how he's not going to look at his daughter as parayadhan or, or wealth that belongs to someone else. But also one thing I remember the friends said is that on a day-to-day -day basis, how am I thinking about this in my life as in my own life, in my personal life with my family. So what adjustments can I make? And what questions can I ask? And how can I, how can I look at those questions and say whether they're in line with what, what the teachings of Baha'u'llah has said, or what, what is right in terms of a principle, and then make the right adjustments as needed, and have the courage to assist friends to do it, whatever is possible. One thing the friends made clear is that maybe we're not going to take very big, bold steps, but whatever is possible within the means of the community and is feasible, we take small steps to bring about this change. So really, I think these conversations were very enriching. And more than plans, you know, concrete plans, I think what they agreed upon is that this principle now is going to shape every other effort they make. So when they think about education, this principle of equality is going to assist them. So for example, they were talking about how if we have a limited number of teachers, young people, who can attend to the needs, the academic or the educational needs um, in the community, how do we ensure at least we try to cover the, the girls first? And of course, I mean, we should make every effort. I mean, towards the end, they said, no, we want every child to be educated. But in practice, they were trying to see what this means, that we cannot put the girls towards the end. We ensure that they come first into it because they're going to be mothers and they're going to raise families which are going to be well-educated if they have the right kind of education. So we were talking about how we can contribute to enhancing the educational life of the community, like the process of education in the community. How does it go to now a new level? Yes, it has come this far. People have begun to go to school, begun to take admissions. But now how do we widen this narrow view that we have that it's only to prepare us for a job? And in that context, how are opportunities opened for young girls? They discussed about how there are study groups that can be formed in the village of young people for various subjects, which could include boys and girls. And if there are study groups in the village, then this concern of sending the girl out is taken care of. They also spoke about the possibility of enrolling into distance education and getting access to all of these uh, books, but also they wanted to explore the possibility of setting, setting up libraries where girls come together and they also study. And then there is also an organization, a Baha'i-inspired organization, 
in Bihar, which is also assisting in the field of education. So the organization is also now thinking how to contribute to this effort in what options there are for, for them to get admission into college and what subjects they could take. So it was a very, it was a very enriching consultation. I think it was a very new thing for the state, but it was also a very heartening experience that now this is a conversation that has begun at the level of the state, but the friends said now they're going to now go back and, and see how many spaces can be infused with this conversation. So whether they're in family groups where they're coming together to pray, they can talk about the importance of, you know, the equality between women and men in the context of their concerns of education, in concerns of family life, in spaces where young people are together. But how is this now going to influence their interactions? One of the reasons that this conversation took place in such a beautiful way was that there's this beautiful trust that has grown among the friends in the village. There are these groups of friends who are together walking this path of service and trying to learn about what it means to, say, enhance the educational life of this community. They're on a day-to-day -day basis helping each other. They're assisting each other's families. The bonds among the families have, are growing stronger as they come together to pray to God, but also talk about some important, you know, issues related to their families and their life in the community. And they're seeing how their ability to assist each other is, is also increasing. So for example, there are times if a girl is not able to step out to say, to go to a class, it's not that she's just left alone. There's a group of people who come, who talk to the family, try to understand the reasons, assure the family that we're with her. So there's, and they go together as they do different things, assisting each other and, and the, the trust has really, has really grown and the bonds among the families are becoming stronger. So it was a very, it was a very nice experience to be part of this group of friends who began to talk about this. You've been listening to Insights from the Field, a podcast series from the Baha'i World News Service. For more stories and podcasts, visit news.baha'i.org. <laughs>